0: Hello and welcome to episode 103 of Just Keep Writing. A podcast for writers.
1: Bye, writers.
2: To keep you writing with a washcloth.
1: I'm Marshall. (laughs) I'm Nick. I'm Brent.
3: (laughs) I'm LP. I have a washcloth.
2: I'm Will, as do I.
0: (laughs) Oh my god. You guys realize I cut that out of the 100th episode, right? Nobody (laughs) knows the washcloth thing. Well, we
3: didn't <laughs> no. talk about it on the, on the episode, but we so didn't mention it. We did, but it's I true. cut
0: it out Yeah. because it did. there was no context, but now it's back. All right. So this week, guys, we are going to talk about section four of Charlie Jane Anders' book. Never say you can't survive. I'm running the show this week and holy crap. There's a lot in this chapter. Last week, last episode, I should say, we had a discussion that may have spanned two epi- Two questions. And it was an amazing discussion, and I loved it. Um, it got a little deep, and I'm gonna go ahead and say parts of this might get a little deep as well. So I've got some questions for you guys about each section. But first, what I want to do is, um, <laughs> you guys, kill me in the chat. First, what I want to do is, I want to, t- I want to read the titles of all of the chapters because I think there's an escalation of. Um, conversations that might happen. So chapter 17 is how to write a political story without falling in your face. Chapter 18 is good world building shows how things could be different. Chapter 19, the unexamined story that is not worth writing. Chapter 20 weirdness gives me the strength to keep going. And 21, which we'll end on tonight, of course, is when it, is it okay to write about someone else's culture or experience? So the reason that I read those out is because I may or may not skip some, depending on time, depending on the questions, depending on the conversation, since all five of us are here. But we're going to start with the political part, and definitely I'm going to include chapter 21 regardless. I've got some fun questions in the middle, so it's kind of a, I don't know, sandwich. I'm not looking at the chat on purpose. So I'm going to, let's start with, oh for God's sake. <laughs> I hate you guys. Okay. So we're going to start with chapter 17, um, how to write a political story without falling on your face. Uh, I'm going to read just a couple sentences from the beginning, and then I'm going to ask the question. So Charlie Jane starts the, the chapter with, every story is political, whether it's about war or boat racing. And this is at the beginning of chapter 17. And a little bit further down, she says, for my money, the most thrilling and entertaining stories are the ones that own their politics proudly. So what I thought was interesting about this chapter is she talks about how even if we're not trying to, politics. We end up writing about politics a little later, which I'm going to bring up Mm -hmm. in a minute. um, She brings up um, something that's actually um, in the world building of my current work in progress is climate change. Um, She makes a point of saying climate change is here and it's real. And basically that we should be including it in our world building. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is I want to ask you guys, and maybe I'll start with Brent. um, When you go to write, how proud of you are of the politics that you include and what politics do you, are you including maybe have you included or currently trying to include?
1: Okay. Um, so hell yeah. I'm proud of uh, anything political I put into it. Um, I've, I always think of this quote that, the uh, that the personal is political and I have always really Believe that, and I think I, I, um, I let it be. I let it exist in all my works. That you know, you can't. People love to pretend that it's possible to separate your politics from how you behave out personally, but you just can't separate those two. And I guess that is probably my strongest political stance: is that those two things can't be separated, and to try to pretend they can be is usually you're lying to yourself. But um. I think also as well something i i actually in looking back on some of the works I've had published and stuff I've written and that hasn't been published, I am always in the uh vehicle of critiquing organized religion um i I don't think that I'll ever be able to not make that critique, and that critique is as much um. Yeah, it's a political stance, but again, the political is personal and it's a personal thing for me because religion did so much damage to me personally. So I guess it's always I don't want to call it a vendetta because I don't think it's a vendetta. But it's just like, you know, always shining that light in that place where people try not to have light shone, uh, shined on, I guess. Uh, what else do I do politically? Um that you can make a good choice and it still have bad consequences. Mm. I think that's something I definitely like talk about in my work, because I think sometimes we, we have a tendency to believe that, you know, there's black and white and it's like, even the best decisions can still hurt people and still uh, cause harm. And uh, I think that's something that probably shows up in a lot of my work. I'm trying to think what else. Um, I, I think I push back on a lot of the ideas about like how um uh, how sex should be uh should be less of um should be less sacred than I think we make it in the West at least. You know, we make it a very like uh make it a very like consequential act when it really probably shouldn't be that much, maybe. So yeah. Um or maybe not, I don't know. I guess like value it the way you need to value it and not let other people determine the value of it for you. I think would be more appropriate, but yeah. Okay. So I'm going to stop talking. I think that's a good chunk of what my politics sort of look like.
0: No, I like that. LP, your, your hand was up next.
3: All right. About black people only. Uh, and I write about queer people frequently. Um, and so I feel like I spend a lot of time writing about who gets to be a hero and who's forced to be a villain uh, and the thing expectations communities have on an individual and how that differs from the expectations an individual has on the community. Um, and a couple stories where there aren't any white people. And like partly because – I think about one story in specifically, I'm thinking about Yammer and Nectar, where, like, there are no white people in that story. And shitty things happen because, you know, not saying that white people in, in, introduce shittiness to the world or anything. That's weird. But, like, you know, people do things because they can, not because they're the best thing to do. Um, and I think it's important to show that everyone... Can make a a shitty decision that a, a shitty decision that impacts the community, and that a community can make a shitty de- decision that people don't buck against uh, and perpetuates itself.
0: Well, you're up. I'm up. You had your hand up when LP's was up, so I figured well, I'd go to you. Actually,
2: next. I had a question for Brent when it came to sex. Do you think though, when you're writing a story, is there a way? that the sex can be included that doesn't make the sex sacred like it's a character having fun but at the same time can push the plot forward
1: oh yeah i think i definitely think so um yeah i definitely think so i definitely think that i think um yeah if because i mean sex can be a lot of things outside of what i think we normally see it portrayed as and um American society like it could be it, it, like you know like the way you like to have sex says something about you can say something about characterization or plot or or yeah I mean are you know um the the places where you don't want to have sex could say something maybe someone they you know like it can move a plot forward like I think sometimes people think when, especially when it comes to like writing sex and how it can like work into story and narrative, whatever they think a little too much about the, the, the steps in the act and not enough about the, the things leading up to the act or the environment in which the act exists. So like someone who only likes to have sex in public, for instance, or something, where does that come from? What does that say about character? Where does that lead the plot potentially are um, <clears throat> are someone who um, who who can't have sex in at night because they really work a job that they hate, and you know they have to find a partner who's okay with doing it in the morning. And what if that partner has a day job? And what's the conflict in that? How does that work out? You know, things like that. I think sometimes we think a little too much about like the the actual act and yeah, the romance and the love behind it, and not enough. But, Of the circumstances that, you know, that contribute to the act occurring in the first place are not occurring.
2: Because when I think of um, Laurel K. Hamilton, who writes the Anita Blake uh, books, you know, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of commentary about like, oh, there's too much sex. It doesn't move the plot forward. And I actually rarely find that to be true with those books. I'm like, you just don't like sex that isn't cookie cutter.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think I think like it, it, I think sometimes, especially with that, like people don't people don't think about like how what sex tells you about class, what it tells you about race, what it tells you about um, what it t- Yeah, like for instance, when I was when I was in middle school, in high school, and you know, just learning about like sex and sexual things and whatnot, there was this stereotype that. Um, that black women did not like to participate in oral sex, for instance. That's not something, and there was this idea that white women were more than happy to. And, and 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 that that in and of itself is interesting. That in and of itself, it's not just about sex. That's about something about that's masaje noir. That's uh, that's you know, where do they get this impression? Is it from? Is it from porn? Is it from media? Like, what's feeding that? Like, I think that. A lot of times people flatten sex too much into this idea of like on a craft level, they flatten it into the actual romantic act. And like, what does it say about love and and how is it moving these characters forward emotionally? When And honestly, sex says a lot about a whole lot of other things outside of emotions.
2: Yeah, for
0: sure. OK, um, Marshall, what was the question again? The question was. I have it written down here. Uh, what politics do you include in your stories and how proud are you of the politics that you include? So did you answer?
2: No, I did not.
0: Right, I asked Brent
2: it. a question. So I'm going to piggy off back of what both, both LP and uh, Brent said, like when the personal is political, but sometimes you don't realize how it's going to come out in a story. So, with the webtoon that um, is going to come out in January, um, I didn't think this was going to be about the right to want someone's own body. It, it had to be in the back of my head. So, let me just give you a um, little like breakdown of it. It's called The Vessel, and it is about uh, the main character, Deanna Garcia has just lost her parents and her girlfriend and moves into the house of her girlfriend's parents uh, they've decided you know to take diana under their wing and the story opens up where diana is being um her body is being used to channel um an entity for this cult's purpose and as the series progresses um, it is about these entities uh, possessing her and it is she is literally in a fight to control her own body. And the cult is also trying to control her own body through the entities. And the entity is trying to control the body so they can have full um, ownership. And so some of the taglines for the vessel is uh, they don't want your soul. They just want your body. and. When I think about what's happened with Roe versus Wade, and how infuriating it is, and when I even have other men, other gay men, say, why am I so upset about this? Because our rights, everyone's rights, are intrinsically, intrinsically? Intrinsically. 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 Um, Sorry, I can't talk, y'all. It's late over here. Um, (laughs) Maybe I was drinking. Um, And if our rights are really locked in to 51% of the human population, so if we control 51% of the population's body autonomy – then that's a trickle-down effect where then only, say, maybe 1-2% of the whole entire world's population are the one controlling everything. And it wasn't... I didn't think I was going to write this webcomic of all things about a girl who was hosting these entities in her body and is in a fight for her own ownership. I wasn't thinking, yeah, this is a commentary on Roe versus Wade, or this is a commentary about what's happening. But because it is so... Personal in a way that it affects every woman in my life and they're vocal about it, it's hard not to pick that up because it is something that's super important to me because I believe um, everyone has a right to their own body autonomy. No one has the right to reduce you to just your reproductive parts or just to your body. No one has the right to your body and what people think is that when you have the rights to someone's body, that means they also can control your mind and can control your soul. So that's really what the vessel is about. And that's just one character. The other characters are also, you know, I was describing it to Brent and um, um, LP through text. And I said, you know, it's like the queer POC uh Chilling Adventures of Sabrina meets like, I don't know, like a mystery, like it has the beats of a mystery. So all these other characters also have, you know, all of Deanna's friends who are also kind of in the mix in this town um, are also going through something. And um, one of the characters father is a policeman and he is biracial. His mother is black. His father is white. His father is a police officer. And I kept thinking, how can I show nuance with his dad, who is in a job that's torn? You know where the institution of policing is incredibly fucked up, and he's also a son of bi- he's also a dad of biracial children, and then looking at how the town is filled with insidious um, people. And how that reflects. So, it deals a lot with um, controlling body autonomy, um, classism. It's going to deal like a lot with um, surviving as a queer person, and that come came across naturally because when you have people who are your friends who are so different um, than say my own experience, it's hard for me. As a person and as a writer, not to have that in your in your uh, work, and I also think just in my art, what I'm finding is that everyone keeps commenting on like the paintings I'm doing and like a lot of the drawings, like, "Oh, Will, that's so political," and all I kept thinking was the painting I did on Uvalde. Um, I don't think children being murdered is political it's fascinating to me that yet it is i don't think you know me calling out hypocrisy from people who are in government is political but it is so it's hard it's tied up in who i am and what is important to me so it's hard not to have that sorry if oh, i sure. blabbered
0: no no that's perfect um i i want to tie in something you said a little bit later when we get to chapter nineteen, or I might throw it in sooner if we, you know, depending on time. But Nick, I want to go to you. Um, do you set out to include? I mean, we've shared each other's writing quite a bit. What politics yeah. do you include in your stuff, and uh, how proud are you of
4: it? Are you of it? Uh, I don't know. I I haven't deliberately gone after political issues per se, but I have. Uh, One that I like to write about. All right, that's a good comment to put in there, LP. Uh, Because I've always... LP just commented, uh, it's privileged experience to avoid content that's political. Which I've actually always tried to avoid politics. Um, But this chapter really helped me kind of unsee that in a different light. Where I like what Brent said, a character's political. Like you, you have to have thoughts, feelings, and opinions, things that drive and motivate you. Um, and so that's really helpful. Like this chapter was enlightening to really show me that I'm doing it, regardless if I'm aware of it or not, or if it's intentional, it is happening. And it's something I need to to embrace more. My current thesis project is tackling the, how do I word this correctly? So I don't sound like I'm not knowing what I'm talking about or writing about. Um, are you the trying foster to talk, care system yeah that's
2: what i was gonna say yeah the foster thank care. you
4: oh my god that that i that word escaped me i'm trying to tackle the foster care system and how that's being handled um in certain situations and exploring different ideas on what ifs uh and things like that um and so for me like that is something i'm going to be proud of because i've, I've spent time researching that for years with my undergrad And I'm doing research now for it to make sure, like, I'm getting some of the voices right. Uh, But for me, like, I need to be more deliberate in that moving forward. I also tend to focus on social issues more than anything else.
2: I want to ask you a question then when you said you tend to focus on, quote unquote, social issues. But you're saying that, like, foster care is a social issue and not a political issue, correct?
4: I I don't want to say yes, and I don't want to say no at the same time on that one. Because okay. I think I think it is a social issue, but at the same time, I think it is very really, it is very deeply rooted in politics as well.
2: Can you um talk to me about your story and how you have dealt with it on a human level, and then how it's politicized? Because when you when you think of social, right? Because this is how I'm intaking what you're saying. Social to me and what the context you're framing it in as means humanity as a human issue. And you're saying politics is is twisting that and manipulating it. So that's why your brain goes to saying social because you feel that it's a human issue and that you try not to get into the political aspect of it, but unfortunately it is tied to politics. Can you, are you addressing that in your story? Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah. So part of, so part of what I'm doing, it is a fantasy world. It is full of war and terrors against monsters and demonic beings. And the way the kingdom or certain cities use orphans, they use orphans. They call them the motherless. Um, And they use them around town to complete certain jobs and tasks and to make sure they help help keep the city running. Um, Total abuse of power. It is my play, play on that. It's also if a child goes missing, no one blinks an eye. No one talks about it. It's just like, oh, it's just one of the motherless, which is my take on society doesn't care about what happens to them. So those in power can do what they want. And use them as expense, as expendable tools and resources.
2: I mean, I have to say, just from that description, the fact that you used "motherless" instead of "fatherless," I actually really like, because I think it's recognizing on a on a subliminal level the role of how important women are in society. Maybe that wasn't your point, but that's what I keep thinking from it.
4: What happens if, if, if someone's father dies in a war?
2: Their mother takes oh, care of
4: them. So, so sad. The mother takes care of them. What happens when the mother dies, people think the father can't take care of the child. Or that they need help. Or that they're always going to struggle. Or they're not giving enough, right? So, I've that you know, that was a choice. um, And it played into my world building and some dark magic that I have going on around that. But... That's to be built. Bring it. All right. Any other yeah. follow-up questions? I was to say, any other thoughts? <laughs> One of the
0: questions I was trying to. Oh, you got to ask the-, the question, bro. Me? mm mm-hmm. Oh, crap. Yeah. So. Oh. Hmm.
2: I I love it that every time one of us is moderating, we're like, oh yeah, I haven't thought about no, this. No, and,
0: and I thought about this earlier, and I was like, I should have write something down because someone's going to make me answer my own, own question. No, I'm going to go with um something that LP said earlier is I write right now, especially with my current work in progress and my thesis for for school. I'm writing black characters primarily. There's a couple white characters in it. There's some aliens in it, space opera, but it's it centers around a black cast. And that's something that I've been consciously trying to do with all of my fiction in my, in my graduate program is I'm writing black characters. It's something that I may have attempted to do before, but I'm really, it's something that I just, I have to do right now. So that's, that's one thing, something and I was going to bring this into the next section too, before I had to answer my own question, (laughs) but, um, I'm, I'm also it trying worked. to write about certain things that frustrate the shit out of me, like um, how our government is dealing with climate change, for example, and how we're dealing. And like Will was saying, dealing with other people's bodies, like how in what scenario. You know, do I have can I walk into somebody's house and tell them what to do with their body like that doesn't even make sense to me. Right. Um, so the backdrop in the world building for my current work in progress is climate change. We have to figure out the earth is at a stage now where people, most people have to leave. Some have to stay. What does that dynamic look like? Um, And then I threw in first contact and some other crazies craziness as well. But the politics that I'm passionate about right now is in this piece that I'm messing with too, is what does it look like if the most powerful, person on the planet or the person with the most wealth and influence is a black man. What does that look like in this society, in this future? Right. And how does that, you know, what, what does that look like when humanity has to rely on them and white folks out? You know what I mean? So like, that's kind of what I'm messing with right now. If that answers the question, does it answer the question Did I answer my own question?
3: You asked it, bro. You gotta let us know. I know,
0: right. <laughs> um, Do I want to do this other one? I do want to do this one. So one of the things she talks about in this next section is failure modes, talking about tropes. Um, And one of the things I really liked actually about this section was the writing exercise. It talked about taking tropes and making it messy. Uh, We're talking about allegories and metaphors, right? But what I'm interested in is with you guys, when is there story TV show movie where you know that the creator tried to do this and it worked like taking a trope, making it, um, making it messy because they were about real people, which is something that Charlie Jane talks about a lot in this section. Am I making sense?
3: I don't think I noticed it because when people make tropes work, I'm just excited about good writing and I'm, I don't necessarily need to dissect that. Mm. I think more than anything, I'm like, Oh, look, you did that thing that I've seen a thousand times and the exact same got, Oh, oh, oh. that's exciting. Isn't it? Yeah. But when things are good, I, you don't, I, for me, <clears throat> and I'm a weird writer. Cause like I don't necessarily spend a lot of time like studying work to be like, Oh, why did this work? Why did this not work? But like, when things are good, I don't need to question them. I was like, bitch, that was good.
0: Anybody else? I think I'm that's LP. A,
2: that, yeah, that's a hard that's a hard thing to think of a trope that.
0: Well, I mean, what she's what she's really saying though is that all stories are about people living society. She says this on one fifty, but the idea behind the writing exercise is take a trope, um, write down one or two short description of how the trope or allegory would normally play out, um, and then. Um, Oh, and then take the idea and make it messy. Try to imagine what it would be like to be in the middle of that situation. Imagine yourself as a girl who's been sexualized in spite of being a brand new or the middle manager who's been entrusted with the job of destroying the forest, et cetera. I just think it's interesting um, that LP, you said you don't really notice this because it's done well, right? Go ahead, Will.
2: It, um, you know, okay. I think Laurel K. Hamilton uh wrote this series about um the fairy about the unsealy and seely courts and the princess Meredith literally is using sex as a weapon because she is in the beginning of the series fighting with her cousin to whoever gets pregnant first is getting the throne, right? But sex isn't viewed as like you can only be with one partner. It is both fun, but you're trying to get pregnant. And the way that it's used, it's used is like politically, just as much as for all those characters involved. So I feel like she has taken maybe a trope where women who were sexual beings are not devalued, but empowered. Because even the birth of of, of Mary's kids um, is empowering, not because it gained, not only did it gain something for Meredith or Mary, um, but everything turned out to be like on her own terms that she fought for, you know, And she refused to be a pawn. And I thought that was a really powerful, message in those books and i wonder sometimes too is that you know can men write women the way that laurel did i mean i'm sure there's going to be some men but i think you know like those books came out like in the early 2000s right so at that point you weren't really seeing a lot of women um showing that sexuality they were and you know like Jim Butcher is a nice dude, right? (laughs) Maybe not. Um, (laughs) I don't know. You know, stories, but the way Jim writes women is very, uh, weak in a lot of ways. And what always fascinated me is he was always compared to Laurel because they were both writing paranormal fantasy. um, they were always writing, uh, or urban fantasy was what it's called. Um, but when you really look at Laurel's work, she writes romance, paranormal, horror, mm-hmm. and science fiction in one. And I think that's something, especially her, what really made her the name that she is today, um, was by flipping those tropes and making them work. At the time that Anita Blake came out, it was 1993, right? This was this was a year after Buffy the movie came out, I believe, right? And here's a character who was even more aggressive, who used guns, who who grew into her sexuality, and I just think she took all these tropes of what women should have been, and then just flipped them, and. It just worked because she wasn't writing Anita who's a woman like a man. She was allowing Anita to be her full womanly self on her own terms. And I think that is deeply, deeply powerful.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I think the point of the exercise too, I mean, is just to, to take a trope and have some fun with it. And I think, and, and see how creative you can be around it. And I, I don't know. I encourage everybody to do it, and I appreciate your example, Will, for sure. Um, we got to get into world building, though, because I have a kind of a fun question before we get to the heavier stuff at the end. I think
2: I think Brent had something to say. Oh,
0: right, Brent, no, I was Just real right. quick.
1: We can, we can, we can go. No, go I, was just gonna say, I was just going to say Invincible.
0: Oh, and yeah. High, like, yeah, tough. that's a good one. That is a good yeah. one. Bring like, there's a lot
1: of tropes, like a lot of superhero tropes, but particularly the one of like, you know, The good guy saves the day at the end because he did not save the day. Omni-Man was whooping his ass and (laughs) and it was a lot of damage from it. And he didn't win. Like Omni-Man changed his mind. Like it wasn't. Yeah.
2: Are we talking the animated series?
1: Yeah, the animated series. Okay, yeah. okay. Because I was yeah, like, no, no, oh. I, know the, I know I yeah, going to no, be no, like, no. girl, wait till no, you no, find no. out. I know, I know the comics are so. No, the, yeah, i <laughs> no, I'm just talking about what we've seen of the animated series. Because, yeah, on season one. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I love that you brought up Invincible because I think Invincible flips so many tropes, you know? Oh, yeah.
1: like the, the comic series. Oh, yeah. It takes the whole superhero economy and just dissects it left and right.
2: Yeah. And I just, what I also love about it is there's these great moments of comedy in those books that are yeah. just like really joyous, especially those early issues. There's a lot of joy in those books and there's a lot of, God, you guys are just making me want to read. Okay, God, Sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I was just going to say that one in particular seems very aware of the tropes it's messing with and how it's flipping them. So that was 100%. just my example. I, I want to
3: jump in and piggyback just a little too, because – I, I think Image Comics. There were there were a lot of the comics that were really in conversation with the zeitgeist in a lot of ways. Um, not so much like the the early ones, but like you get to things like like Invincible, which is in very real conversation with all the comic book tropes. Um, and then I think about Youngblood, which came out in the very beginning, which we could just get rid of in, entirely. Uh, but um, the boys was a response to young blood which I think is super interesting because young blood was about superheroes as celebrities and the boys took it a different place and the boys came out at a point in the 2000s when you know people <laughs> were tweeting things to be controversial James Gunn uh and making comics to be controversial and I just think it's super interesting because like they did that and now the boys is a TV show and it feels to me like they kind of translated a lot of that verbatim in a, in a time where it's not appropriate or acceptable, but it's also interesting because characters like Homelander, people are just now starting to be like, man, I really liked Homelander. I really wish they hadn't done this with Homelander. It was like, (laughs) bro, didn't he like fuck a baby in the first season? Like, what are we doing? So this is me talking about tropes that I hate, which is not what you're asking, but I found a way to work it around from Invincible, so I feel good about myself. ADHD will not control
0: me. <laughs> Anybody else on tropes? Because that was uh, that was good. All right. I've been waiting to ask you guys this question. Chapter 18 talks about world building. Good world building shows how things could be different. I love the first section of this chapter because Charlie Jane talks about I'm just going to read this. Some of my earliest memories involved being saved from trauma by imaginary worlds. When I was a child, bullies noticed my mercurial flair and identified me as a proper target for every rust speckled item in the bullet in the bully toolkit. I got through elementary school and junior high by obsessively watching anime and space opera shows, but also by inventing more and more elaborate worlds in my head, both in games of Dungeons and Dragons And in my own scribbles, I constantly sketch maps of places, starships, and monster forests and superhero headquarters. Um, I identify with this section pretty much across the board. But my question to you guys, because I can come back to me. Did you guys do any young childhood world building, like tinkering in other worlds and stuff like that? And if so, what did that do for you? And why that world?
3: let's have nick respond first because he had nick the was
0: smallest like action.
4: appalled that i even asked the
0: question <laughs> the <Nick>. smallest reaction
4: <laughs> i mean let me explain some of you <laughs> <That's plain. laughs> uh, so for me like i love fantasy settings i've always loved fantasy settings i was dreaming of lord of the rings before i knew what lord of the rings was um however let's talk power rangers Uh world building in the Power Rangers world. I've for whatever concept I've got a things with I have a thing with therianthropy, werewolves, werebears, you name it. Mm -hmm. Um but I I as a kid, like I did a world building thing where like your suit of armor was in the shape of a werewolf or a werebear, and like different colors dif- represented different things and, and stuff like that. And it was a really, really fun thing for me to do. Uh, thanks, Will. Um, <laughs> There's some skepticism that. about your werebear but I'm with you on the werebears. Look, I love wear bears. I actually just wrote a romance story involving one. Um, <laughs> you know, for me, that was like one of my first plays is like, well, instead of just Power Rangers, what if it was more? What if it was this? Like, what kind of like cool powers could you have? Like, and that's what really launched me into like wanting to write a little bit more to create my own worlds and stuff like that.
0: All right. Well, you're up. You were appalled that I even asked the question. Most of you were, which, I which is bringing me joy because you know, the last chapters are going to be interesting. Go ahead.
2: Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, all the time. um, what worlds were I building? Let's see. There, I don't know why I never wrote fanfic because I would always pretend like I was Cyclops or Wolverine from the X Men, and I was in love with another one of the X Men. Usually, Colossus. That's usually who I was in love with because he was like tall, and I was all like, I was all like, oh, Burr, Burr, face. you know. And so, well, that's like what I imagined cool. to survive. You know, yeah, he was tall and shiny and just he was like, you know, big and then Wolverine's like really short and tough and he would just like, you know, like, fuck the hell out of Colossus, you know, it felt empowering. (laughs) Let
3: me unmute myself so I can laugh.
4: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. This just explains so much about you. Everything yeah. So about is everything. Yeah. What's funny yeah.
0: is you guys, you guys mute yourself a lot, and like when I go back to edit this, I find I'm the only one laughing, but I know you guys are laughing with me. But
1: my oh, no. laugh I'm is I'm the only one on the track.
0: <laughs> I muted to laugh.
3: It's good. We're good. Well, no, I appreciate well,
1: it. I, I, but, I mute because sometimes like I have strange background noises. Oh no, I
0: appreciate it. on the editing side, it's great. But sometimes when we're all laughing, it's funny. Go ahead.
2: So yeah, like I always made up worlds yeah. like that was like you know a lot of like gayness was around or Mm -hmm. like i would imagine like you know like x-men drag queens coming down from the rafters saving you know the guys or like you know like it was stuff like that it really helped me survive a lot you know especially as a kid i think i always created worlds or i created my own team of (laughs) x-men like and split them up into groups and i would always be like god there's always more girls than boys on here because the girls were always better I felt like, you know, sometimes I wouldn't even have Wolverine in there. I'd be like, see you later, Wolvie. Um, <laughs> um, or like I would always make up the new Fantastic Four. <laughs> um, I'd make up my own Justice League where Wonder Woman was always leading, you know, Um. Yeah, there was never any boys on there either. Or if they were, it was like Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner version, because I really had a crush on him. Don't judge. And, uh, cause, you know, he was like artistic. Oh, he had his love thing with Jon Stewart. That was another thing. Yeah. Anyway, sex and uh, comics.
1: Yeah. Sounds good. Brett? Um, so outside of my fanfic stuff, I used to. Do this thing, and this probably explains a lot about like my world building now, the type and the type of stuff I like to read. Um, I did this thing where I imagined the alien, more aliens for the Animorphs universe. So I would imagine I would come up with like whole-ass races and and histories for them, and try to figure out everything, and and yeah, i have come up with all these strange creatures and do little illustrations for them, and come up with like the various little plants and animals that existed on their worlds. It was crazy. It was way too much. And then um from the Chronicles of Narnia, I don't know if people remember the magician's nephew and how there was the forest of the trees, the world, the, the, all the trees that led to a different world or whatever. And so I was like, well, I want to know what all these worlds, these different trees led to. So I actually had this little, I, it, you, loose leaf paper thing that i stapled a bunch of papers together and i wrote out a list of trees and numbers and what each of those trees worlds were like and had a little paragraph from and it was quite a bit of stuff but yeah so if though i think those two little stories should explain a lot about like why i am just strictly so obsessed with um
4: with world building so brent i got a question for you okay and it's a little off topic have you ever thought about nightmare before christmas where jack sees all the trees what if he hopped into the easter one? Ooh, that would have been interesting i I'm know how, i i know how you like to talk about religion you would have like, shook them
1: christians up in easterland
4: <laughs> how would I been, get this fanfic from you they would
1: have been <laughs> pressed if jack skeleton came over there <laughs> I don't think Jack would have been able to pull that off. They would have burnt that man at the stake as soon as he tried to change Je-
4: something. Jesus, Jack. That's all I'm saying.
1: Yeah. I'm saying as soon as, Jesus, soon as Jesus came in with a skeleton face, the people <laughs> <laughs> they would have called him a witch, a necromancer, or whatever. They would have burnt Jack. He, would have, he wouldn't have survived in the Eastern land, I don't think. Yeah, no. They would have threw eggs at him as soon as he started talking about trying to change shit up. Because you know he would have been... <laughs> I'm I'm sorry I'm sorry audience tonight I'm a little bit um, tired so this is why you're getting this. <laughs> oh I love it I love it.
0: Uh I didn't mean, did, did you answer? right that Marshall? What oh not editing that out. LP what you got?
3: Yeah so you know my first act was as a performer and so I would project myself into I would write character names and story arcs for myself onto Kids Incorporated. Uh-huh. That's uh-huh. all I am. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to be on the Mickey Mouse Club so badly. Uh, but, you know, I also would watch shows like The Space Cases, which I thought was super fucking interesting because I'd never seen anything like that. That it obviously it was YA, the space opera, but like it was continuous and there were no adults around. And I was like, Oh, this is actually kind of cool. Plus it all Uh, the first season had Walter Jones as one of the leads. Um, but then, you know, I just started. I was reading comic books, and so I would write the stories that I wanted to see in my head. Like, oh, this is what should happen in the next issue. Uh, Which I think is kind of where a chunk of this started, um, at least with the science fiction and fantasy and stuff. Like X-Men, like New Mutants. The problem is that I inherited my cousin's uh, comic book collection. And so I would make ideas about what the next issue should be like, but he had the next issue. I just had to find it, hmm. which kind of refuted everything. It was like Crisis on Infinite Earths, but like every three issues.
0: (laughs) I guess it's my turn. I... Look, I was really into Star Wars and geeky stuff when I was younger. I'm a little older than some of you too, but my... when When I discovered video games, I fell in love with Street Fighter, and I don't know if I even want to admit this. I used... I had notebooks. I was making my own... Uh, I don't know my own fighting game and I had all my own characters and all their moves, all their backstories. Like I didn't realize I was doing this. I was, I was young at the time. I didn't realize I was doing what I'm doing now, but at such a young age, you know, and just like, I'm taking something and I'm like, I just love this so much. I got to make, I got to make my own version of this. Granted, it was very close to the original, but it had its own, you know, and I thought I could draw then, too. That was a whole different thing. Don't get me started on that. Uh, but I i don't know. There was something about video games that, that struck me. And it's something I still do, obviously. And Nick was talking about it uh, earlier as well. Um, but this world-building chapter, just to continue going because uh, we got to move forward, has a ton of stuff in it. Um, I have another... One of the things I wanted to ask you guys, there's a section about community... Um, that I think is really interesting. Um, and before I get to this other question, um, well, I'm just going to read this and I'll tell you, um, so she says community is everything, which brings me to another aspect of world building that people often seem to overlook community, A good world contains a sense of communities that people belong to rather than just placing unique and fascinating individuals alongside a faceless crowd. As I said before, nobody changed the world on their own. Um, I guess what I'm asking you guys is how, I want to try to bring this to craft just a little bit. Is there a way in which you make community work in your worlds? And and is there any tips and tricks you can throw at people? Because there's some stuff in here that I think is really good, but, um, community is important. That shows part of the world. Um, so what do you think LP?
3: Yeah. Um, I'm kind of anti-individualist. So. Um, or I'm trying to be anti-individualist. Like my stories tend to have, my stories are about community uh, and people coming into the community or breaking away from their community because of, you know, things and stuff. And so I think it's super interesting when people write things that avoid community. Bec- uh, uh, I'm thinking about, I talked about the yam wine and Nectar earlier. Um, this idea that this community has decided that, like, it's okay to do this horrific thing because it makes the world a better place, right? And that works for everybody except for, you know, the person that's being inflicted this horror upon whom this horror is being inflicted. Um, but this community has made a decision and they've, 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 they've aligned all of their actions to make that work. Um, I think it's interesting. She and Guy's been on the podcast before and that's like my little sis. She's very much anti-exceptionalism. Like the idea that one person could be the chosen one or one person can change the world and blah, blah, blah. I was like, that's super, I don't know. It, it's, it's very Western. It's very much the way that I feel like writing is taught. And I'm, I'm much more interested in seeing the ways in which people interact rather than seeing how the one person saved the world. I've been babbling. What was the question initially?
0: I, it was more of a craft question. Like, how do you show community? How do you represent community? And what? how do you get community to show up in your work, in your world building?
2: I mean, you answered it, LP. I yeah, think you did. Just you 100%
0: by... answered it. Okay. I, I Then said. I said some other stuff, too. There, yeah, There's a lot there. Yeah. You're welcome to say other stuff.
3: <laughs> oh, thank
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> you can say whatever you want, buddy
1: uh well brent um for me it is a matter of diving i think deeper and like sometimes like and i'm having to learn this with my world building right it's like one of the common um critiques that i've gotten and i'm starting to recognize like i need to pull back because sometimes i'm throwing too much you know like I think the last editing note I got, like, there was like, you have a lot of cool ideas, but we need to focus on two or three of them. And I think that, um I think the the message in that is that, you know, if you have too much going on and too much, you're trying to insert in too much, it makes it feel hollow. Like, so if you want to show a community or like create a deeper, richer community with your story, it's best to take the... um idea and then go deeper with it so kate elliott talks about this where it's like you think you you get the seedling of an idea let's just say um i don't know we always talk about people that like riding dragons okay so you have people who that like like riding dragons well now well what type of personality attracts someone who likes riding a dragon what uh what's involved in feeding these dragons what do they eat where does this sort where does this food come from Um, are the writers, how do the writers view the people that bring the food for the dragons? Is, Is it a friendly relationship? Is it a hostile relationship? Um, where do, you know, do the dragons prefer a certain geographic climate? And if they do, well, then does that change the type of people that can actually ride the dragon? And what do those people look like? So it's just a matter of like, um, digging deep on your idea and, and out of that, you can, you kind of can develop um, develop like a character, or develop like the the community this character operates in, and also too, I like to remember that most people don't just have one community. They and they and they also don't necessarily share their communities with each other, like within themselves. So, for instance, I think of this all the time. I you I go to EDC right? EDC is this huge fucking rave festival every year. Um, um, music all you know three days in a row. But when you're there, you meet people who are fucking corporate bankers, <laughs> kindergarten teachers, pre K teachers, daycare advisors. You meet people who are, you know, college students, whatever. You meet these people who are doing all these various things. And for the most part, they do not let those two parts of their lives mix. Those two things are, are completely separate, but they exist in both of those communities at the same time. So I think if you're, want to create a richer community uh, driven story i think you have to consider the multifaceted the uh, facetness i don't know whatever can't talk tonight but consider the um, the multiple communities that your characters exist in because it's not likely that your mage is only a mage and they only think about ever being a mage like i think it's much more interesting to have a mage who also is you know um is a wine connoisseur on the side, or <laughs> uh, you know, you have a, a a vampire that's really into pottery. You know, things <laughs> like give them give them something that is out just that is outside of the scope of the cool one liner pitch for them.
3: I'm gonna jump in because Brent uh voiced uh one of my stories at Podcastle, and Indigo, and one of the things that I, I had a lot of fun with there is that like the the lead character is a part of a magical community that's like disappearing, but they're also queer and that creates an antagonistic relationship for him and the queer community to whom he belongs, as well as him being from a geographical community, which is known to be impoverished and distant. And like those things come together in the ways that he shares commonalities with the other guy in the story and the ways he doesn't share commonalities with other guys in the story. And like... I don't know. It's, it's, there's so many ways to be a part of a community uh, in good standing, in bad standing. People are mad at you, but, you know, they, they can't get rid of you because you belong to them. Like, there's so many ways to engage community. I, I always find it super interesting. And by interesting, I mean weird and and gross when characters are like, yeah, so and so doesn't have, like, the the Harry Potter thing I thought was so fucking strange because this person went from being abused by his parents the Dursleys are his parents abused by his parents and then like he becomes a jock and popular and like all these things and i was like he wouldn't have he wouldn't he wouldn't be able to trust anyone his caregivers didn't give him care he wouldn't be able to trust anyone he wouldn't be able to like anyone no one would be able to get near, near him and he would most likely have se- severe ptsd but like the book took the direction that it took. It was, it is the book that it is. But like when you sit down and think about like how people become people, like that first community affects how this character should, in my opinion, affect how this character moves through the next community. Mm-hmm. And there's a book called uh, it's by Sarah Rees Brennan. It's it's kind of a throw up on a throw up, uh, uh, not a parody because that makes it sound like it's all satire. But like it, it responds to Harry Potter if Harry Potter was the Harry Potter. That had the psychological damage of Harry Potter in a magical world. I will find the In other lands. In other lands. That's it. It's good.
0: And queer. Very white, but queer. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So I'm torn where I want to go with this. Does anybody have anything else on community they want to throw out there? Because I think I'm going to jump jump ahead. Okay. So <sighs> I want to go back to something that was it. Will earlier, I think I marked it. Yeah, um, was talking about how you were surprised by some of the politics that showed up in your work, or the themes yeah. that showed up in your work. Mm-hmm. Um, the Charlie Jane um, talks a, a chunk about theme in um, in chapter nineteen. Um, and on page one sixty two I marked it. Hold on. I want to read something real quick. Yeah. She says, this is what I was going to say earlier, uh, when you were talking, I used to be surprised when a theme showed up in something I was writing. I'd be chugging along. I noticed a particular idea popping up in, in different contexts. And meanwhile, a bunch of events in the story seem to have connections that went beyond mere plot and causality. Um, Later, she says, half the joy of writing for me comes from intentionality. So I guess what I want to throw out to you guys, before I get to the last kind of heavier section, because I have to skip a couple chapters here just for time, but what themes do you notice? And I and I feel like this is maybe different. If it's not different, we can skip it. Um, do you feel like what themes are showing up in your work now in your current writing, um, and that is maybe separate from – that were unintentional, I guess is what I want to throw out there. Hmm. And is that different than the politics that you're intentionally writing into your work?
3: I don't write theme on purpose. Um, theme is something that I figure out on the back end and then strengthen in revisions. Um, things that have shown up in my writing. Honestly, the the ways that I've figured out what's shown up in my writing has been like writing applications for like grants and like fellowships and stuff mm-hmm. or like having to write about my writing, which is a really strange and meta experience. But like for me, like I said community is a big part of it, like the way that um the way that uh people interact with cuisine and and culture and art, creativity uh in in said communities. Uh also there's a lot of uh I'm writing a short story collection about death, mourning, and rebirth. Uh, so I write a lot about death. <laughs> I write a lot about, like, end of life and what it means to start a new life. Um, and, yeah, there's a lot of dead moms in my stories. Take from that what you need to.
0: Sure. Right.
1: Um, The biggest one I noticed, I guess, when I was thinking about, and and this is mostly from stuff that hasn't been published, but um, I didn't realize it, but so many of my characters were pissed off with their parents, (laughs) and um, I had to kind of interrogate where that came from a little bit, and like, um, you know, where where that was, uh, yeah, I think the unintentional themes are always the, things that you're subconsciously thinking of and don't realize it until afterwards. And this was something, um, there's advice of an author named Milan Dressler. And I think I've talked about this before on the show, but um, she gave me this advice in college as a writer. She gave it to me in a group of other writers. She was like, prepare your family and friends for your book because not only will you not and you won't know what you're saying sometimes but you won't be able to control what other people pull out of what you're saying right and um and 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 to kind of like build on that when I was in my early 20s I wrote this engrossingly large for no goddamn reason fantasy novel and one of my friends read it and afterwards he came up to me and and I think I've told the story before too, but he was like, do people know? And I was like, people know what? He was like, do people know you're gay? And I was like, what do you mean? And, and I was like, no, not really. When, you know, he knew I was, but he was like, he was like, Brent, like anyone that reads this is going to know you're gay. (laughs) And, and, uh, you know, at the time I was kind of like, what, how, no way. And he was like, he, he literally had like highlighted certain passages. He was like, no straight man describes another man in this way. Nothing. No straight <laughs> guy would do this, that, and the third. And and so I think the, the kind of like to Charlie Jane's point. I think is that we, when you're really writing and you're really writing it from your heart, like and I don't think even if you're just writing it for market, you're always going to bear a little bit of your soul on the page, whether you mean to or not. And um, so yeah, I think like I, that's definitely something I like kind of just accept now that I'm always going to unintentionally put something I'm dealing with or something I'm thinking about into, into my work. Yeah, for sure. Will or Nick, you want to take a stab at theme or you want to
0: jump to the last part? How you feeling?
2: I mean, uh, I mean you kind of touched
0: on it earlier, but
2: yeah, I kind of touched on it earlier. There's a lot of times there's this theme that pops up that I wasn't intentionally cause I don't go into it and being like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to address some of my deep rooted fears and um, sadness. Let me just do that right now. I don't, I just want to be like, I want to write a story about someone being possessed by devils and it turns into something else, you know? I mean, like I can't, I, yeah, I just, yeah, that's the story I have. I was going to say something else about fisting, but I was like, maybe not appropriate. Maybe not. All
0: right. No worries. Um, speak
3: your truth, bitch. Speak your truth.
0: <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, look, there's more to this section um, than we can cover tonight, but I do want to make sure we touch on the last chapter. When is it okay to write someone else's culture or experience? Um, I feel like this group can speak to this a bit. Um, hopefully you've read the section, but one of the things um, that's that she talks about is even though she... Felt pretty qualified to write this book. She says she was going to write an Asian-inspired epic fantasy novel. So my question is, if you read this section, um, there was a part where she says, oh, there it is. It says, and then I started getting that 3 a.m. stomach ache, You know the one, the little anxiety spike in the wee hours. It usually tells me that I'm trying to do something I'm going to regret, possibly for a long time. Um, so she tells a couple of other stories talking about her, you know, her, um, her degree talking about her experience in Asian culture and all that, but she still wasn't qualified to write this book, not in this way, at least. Right. So we all come from different places. We've been in the writing community for a while. Um, Charlie Jane talks about a balance, uh, with, writing other cultures and 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 experiences so I guess I just want to ask you guys oh god do I want to just say when is it okay <laughs> or how don't is it okay do, or how do, do, or how do you do or how do you deal with the balance I guess it's probably a better question.
3: Don't do it don't do it don't do it. <laughs> I
1: say go for it. Shoot why <laughs> this not is... we're gonna go and go for broke. This is I'm so like, broke if we're gonna
3: like, do look it. don't go for broke because you might get broken. Slow down slow down <laughs> slow down. Sign your ass up for some writing the other classes. And, they'll and more she than actually I'm going to.
0: Men- mentions uh, Tempest's uh, program writing the other. There's all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff in here that's very helpful.
3: Mm-hmm. And when you're
0: trying to approach sensitivity readers, all that kind of stuff.
3: Mm-hmm. So
0: LP, your first thing don't was do don't, it, do it.
3: don't do it. Don't do it. Here's the thing like as a as someone who's living from in multi, at the intersection of multiple marginalizations i'm very aware of the ways in which you know the marginalized are are vividly aware of the mainstream we are bicultural in that way right black people know white people in ways that white people don't understand white people gay people understand straight people in ways that straight people still don't understand themselves and neurodivergent people understand uh uh normies in ways that normies will never Never never, never see right all is good all is all is fine. I'm more I, i'm and I'm very good at drawing those dichotomies in my stories right or I mean the multiplicity of dichotomies in those the stories. however, what I'm not going to be able to do as a neurodivergent person is write a disabled person what I'm not going to be able to do no let me rephrase that I could do it. I'm not going to do it with the same level of empathy, awareness, warmth, and uh awareness, I guess, as a disabled person. Same way I can write a white person as a main character, but I'm not going to do that with an Asian character. I'm not going to do that with an indigenous American character, or primarily, Indi- primarily indigenous American character, because in my opinion, I don't have the range. And I think it's very humbling thing to recognize I have a story that is great people fucking loved it I had no business writing it no business, none, none I was looking for the business couldn't find any Uh, (laughs) because it was just not my fucking story to tell or to try to tell and it showed I have two stories actually and it showed it was all all over it was like bitch you don't even know what you're talking about right now Uh, I had a one was about a Middle Eastern girl and a Middle Eastern woman read it and she was like what kind of Middle Eastern is she? Mm. And I was like, uh, and she was like, I mean, obviously different countries, different, as, different areas of countries have different traditions. Like, how are you going to specify that? I didn't have a, what? I sat down, <laughs> I sat down, and I retired that piece because that's what I needed to do. Like great right. writing exercise, but like, I just didn't have the range and I can recognize that like, that I can have a middle Eastern woman As a love interest in my story, I can have her as a side character, but like, I'm not going to be able to give you a first person narrative from, I could do a white person, but I can't do an Asian person. I can't do a trans person. I can't do someone who does not have the use of their legs. And I think there's power in acknowledging that. And I think that a lot of times people just think, oh, it's all the same partly because damn okay partly because people traded as people came to the states they traded their ethnicity for whiteness they traded um you know it, teach your kids to just speak english you're italian right now you know they don't want italians or or niggers or dogs or 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 um irish people in this city, but in two generations, your children will speak English and they will not have accents and they will trade it in everything that we are to become American. And because that's what happened, that's how people became American. People feel like that, that culture is something that they can buy into because their ancestors were willing to get rid of theirs. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: And it's not interchangeable. It's not the same. And look, being able to make ancestors having the capacity to make that choice you know, for their descendants because they thought it was the right thing to do. Horrible thing to do, by the way. But those are choices that they made. And a a lot of us didn't have that choice to make. A lot of our ancestors didn't have that choice to make. And so what ends up happening is people see things that other people are doing and they say, oh, I'm going to do that too. And I'm like, bro, no, absolutely the fuck not. You can't do that because you have no ownership to that. You have no relationship to that. But we see it a lot. We see it. We see right now. I'm seeing black gay vernacular all over the internet. And I'm just like, sis, this is not, this is not the move. And people with no business <laughs> saying, I was watching something the other day and someone's like, it's giving. I was like, you are a straight black R and B singer. Please stop saying it's giving. This is not <laughs> your moment. You know what I'm saying? But like. There's also a contingent that's like, you know, you should be able to write whatever you want. I was like, that's that's a very privileged position that takes no account of the context and nuance. And so I say, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Aside <laughs> characters and secondary characters, I think it's great. I think it's a it's a it's a beautiful thing. And I think that um uh sensitivity readers, amazing, super fucking helpful. Like, if you're going to go into something that, like, you know that you don't have the range for, like, writing party scenes, like, have you (laughs) a Brent in your life so Brent can look over your stuff and tell you where you got it wrong. If I'm writing a story about, like, you know, magical, like, wigs, I'm going to send it to Will. Like, Will, get me together because I'm not going to be wrong and have people come in my mentions and tell me how wrong I am. Um... People are going to do that regardless, but all I'm saying is there are ways to get X, Y, and Z secondary characters done well, but main characters, please stick to what you know. Right? That's the one of the only times we write what you know. I think makes sense. Right. you said you disagreed.
1: Well, no, I didn't. I don't necessarily disagree. No, not with. That. No, I thought we were just talking about asking the question. No, no, I agree with a lot of what um on uh, LP said. Um, in, in that like. I do think, like especially with main characters, I think especially it's like I always think like include me, but don't write for me. Like, Mm -hmm. like you can include me in your story as you should, but don't think you can tell my story because there are going to be things that you just won't ever know. Like, like okay, for instance, me, I'm, I'm the, I'm the son of a on. Right. And it, I'm like, I'm the son of a soldier, but I could never write about anything my father actually experienced because I don't have the I don't have the tools to write the, the, the perspective of that. You know, like I are, or, or for instance, like I think about Well, I, I mean, I, uh, LP brought it up. But yeah, I did. A, I kind of talked about it on Twitter today, like how how wrong I think genre in general gets like the when they write about nightlife and how usually it's written from this very toxic place and it doesn't acknowledge the nuances and, and how like in general, and especially, I I mean, I, I speak to sci-fi just in fantasy, just because that's what I write. But I think media in general just has a really like bad habit of portraying drug use as, as essentially morally bad as a thing, just from the, just from Jump Street when, it's, there's a lot more context. There's a lot more nuance. There's actually, you know, there's actually studies that show that MDMA helps with people repair their relationships with people. Like they actually are doing couples therapy with MDMA for people and, and they're finding emotional breakthroughs. But you wouldn't hear stuff like that. Like, are you see things where like, they're talking about using, you know, psychedelics for anxiety and depression, but that's not how you normally see these things portray. so i think when we talk about like writing other people's cultures in general i think it's very interesting actually will that mention um i mean sorry i will lp mentioned the middle eastern girl because two of my best friends are middle easterns and when i listen to them discuss the nuances and the differences and i'm just like dear god like i would never <laughs> even be able to touch trying to write your culture and you are two of my best friends in the whole world but there are things i don't I, I would never understand. Like, I had no idea owls were bad luck in certain parts of the Middle East. Like, we were having a group chat, and they were talking about somebody, and they were calling them bad luck, and they were using the owl emoji. And I had to be like, why the fuck are y'all saying owls? I, was? I was like, do we want her to fly away? And then they all start laughing. They start laughing, and they're like, oh, no, that's that's like, it means bad luck. And, you know, just just the little nuances like that is why I think, to L.P.'s point, you should never try to write someone else's culture is the main character. I, I hate using blanket statements. Normally I don't like blanket statements, but this is one of those where I think if you, if you aren't from that culture and you can't speak to that experience on a personal level, then it's probably not something you should be writing. And if you are going to write it, I'm damn sure going to say you shouldn't be trying to get paid for it.
4: Mm.
1: Like that that would be the bigger portion of it to me. Like on the, on the larger level, I, I see too many people Trying to get paid, not trying, actually getting paid to um write the stories of of people that they're not that they're not part of the culture of. And to kind of like expand on that, I think Ellen O was talking about this and when how when Asian writers were finally breaking into the fantasy market and actually telling their own stories, white readers were balking at it. It was like, oh, this this doesn't feel realistic. Oh, this doesn't feel like authentic to me. This doesn't feel like the book by the white person I read that wrote this Asian fantasy. So that's the danger of it too. When, you, when you're when you writing things, especially when you're privileged, you're in the position of privilege, you're writing about these cultures and people that you aren't a part of, you're helping create um, a false level of normalcy and a false level of what people actually expect these cultures to be like when it's not really the case. Like I think they talk about it in the movies where like, I mean, if you if you watch movies, you would expect to get off the plane in Colombia and the sky be yellow, and you would hear low low violin music waiting for you. That's the pressure. Like you you watch movies, you would think you step out, you you get off the plane in Mexico, and they're going to hand you buckets of drugs. You know, so it's it's just. I think I think you have to um, think about your intention. I guess me saying all that, they say it's your intention. What is your intention? Why do you think you should write the story of a black man? Why do you think you should write the story of a Cuban immigrant? If you're not those things, what what do you think that you can say about their stories that they can't? And and if if you have a if you feel like you have a legitimate answer, more power to you. Go ahead and write it. But I guarantee you, most of the time you're not gonna have it. So that's my two cents. Well, that was a lot of cents. That was like dollars, but
3: <laughs> I've tried, I've failed. I've tried and I've failed and I've been wrong and I've been shamed.
0: Um, <laughs> and I was back a cave. <laughs> Nick, you were gonna say something earlier. We're gonna wrap up, but I think we're getting close. Yeah, how, I got how you I feel?
4: I got some I have some thoughts. Can everyone see and hear me again? Yeah, buddy. So I do have some thoughts on this. But like this like this is a gut check moment for me too, because I'm hearing what both LP and Brent are saying, and I slightly disagree. To an extent, to an extent, I want to like mark that really hard. I don't feel like I think there's a difference between telling a story from a perspective and it can be done well, and then telling a pain story or a struggle story. And that's where like I've always drawn the line. Cause like for me, I'm not going to be able to write from the perspective of Brent and how he came out. And how that, how that unfolded with his family, culturally, like, that's not a story for me to write. Like, however, but what if I wanted to write a story? and My main character is black. Is that like, where do you where do you draw the Like, for me, I'm not trying to tell a pain story. I'm not trying to tell like, a transition story or anything like that. Like, someone's struggle, a cultural struggle. I don't want to dive into that. But when it comes to main characters and telling stories and having a story, for example, I want to write a Middle Eastern fantasy. I'm not going to have white people in it, obviously. How would I, how would I go about doing that? I, I guess I would ask you guys on that one. Because obviously you guys hit a lot sensitive readers doing your research, like making sure you're dialing in and doing it right and, and being well equipped for it. But where's the like where's where's that line of like I, I'm a white author, so should I only be writing writing from a white male perspective?
1: Well, so it would depend, I think. Like if you're if you're writing if you're writing I I mean, if you were writing, say like yeah, okay, let's go to well, Middle Eastern fantasy. So what you would have to ask yourself is like, okay, what part of the Middle East are we talking about? Are we talking about Iraq? Well, if we're in Iraq, are you talking about the Sunnis or the Shia, or are you going to be writing about the Chaldeans? And if you are going to be writing about the Chaldeans, are you writing about are you writing about the oppression that they faced? Are you writing, are are, or if you are not going to be in Iraq, are you going to be in Syria? Well, if you are in Syria, are you writing from the perspective of Syrian Christians? Are you writing from the perspective of Syrian Muslims? What are they dealing with? What are you writing from Azerbaijani Jews that are descended in Syria? So it's like if you are going to do this, I think even saying. And this is just my opinion, but even when I, when I hear someone's outside of a culture saying, "I want to write a Middle Eastern fantasy," or "I want to write an Asian fantasy," or "I want to write an African fantasy," they've already lost the battle just by saying that, because that is such a broad stroke. It's like yeah. you, like you, you're not even like it, it. To me, it signals. I'm like, is this person even ready? Because it's mm-hmm. like you're, and I get it from a marketing standpoint. You know that's what Western marketing does, but right. from a creative standpoint, it just makes me wonder. Like, 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 are you are you ready to even dig dig into it? Because it, it, because the thing about culture and writing, it, it, even it, it, so, this is why I think sometimes it's such a it's hard to say because I don't even know everything about my own culture. To write it to to that to that level of depth, let alone to—I still learn new things about my own culture all the time. Let alone trying to think to myself, well, you know, I think I think I, I'm going to give a shot at Malaysian culture. Let me try and write that. Like yeah. I think that I think it's one thing to draw inspiration, but it's a—I don't know. It, it's it's yeah. I'm gonna let Will step in. Yeah, well, I'm kind of like at a loss now. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, go I mean, ahead.
4: I'm pro. I'm posing a question to kind of like not be counter-argumentative here, but to like really like dive deep on this one.
2: I mean, if you want to dive deep, then I have to ask you, what books are you reading? That's don't answer. That's just a question. The next question is let's look at someone who wrote about that culture. Right. That isn't from that culture. So when you said you wanted to write a Middle Eastern fantasy, what I automatically thought of was Cameron Hurley's God's War trilogy. And what she based that on was the Iran-Iraq War. And she um, included a lot of those things from that culture in a sci-fi type of thing. So I'm going to flip it for a minute and just answer Marshall's question. Should you do it? Should you not? I think you should always try to write from the other all the time. I think you need to have people read it. And just like Brent and LP were saying, you have to ask yourself, well, why? You know, why are you doing it that way? You know, and if you are so gun ho about it, go ahead, write it. But there's going to be two things, consequences and will your writing career last? you know, because there's going to be consequences all around, you know, are you going to be defensive when people are challenging you and you're writing the other, or are you going to be someone who listens and who intakes and who does better, you know? Um So I think it is important to write the other. I think you should try as much as possible. But I also think when I look at, like, I love martial arts, I grew up in it, I would love to write a martial arts epic, right? What I would do is something more how Avatar the Last Airbender and that universe came about. You know, how can you be influenced by, and there's problems in there, right? There are, some, there are certain things that happened, but there's a lot of things that they also do right. You know, so look at the things that they do wrong and that they do right. And you know, this is where I also think if you are so emboldened to tell the story of a Middle Eastern fantasy, I think what would also be great is then co-write it with someone of that culture. See how you can do collaborations, see how you can do things. If if you know you're so intent on doing that. You know, one of the spin-off series that I have for the vessel is called Spellcasters, and I want the main protagonist to um be one of the characters I created, who's uh, a black female, but I want to collaborate with someone who is a black female on that. I think there's ways that if you want to get in touch with those stories that you invite people into the con- conversation and collaboration. You know, I mean, I don't know what, how everyone else feels about that, but I think trying to have empathy and build something and write a story is great, as long as again you're not trying to write you're not trying to write a character who's trans who is dealing with their transness. You're not trying to write someone who's gay and dealing with their things. But I think you should try to write every type of people in the world to make it realistic lp
3: yeah i'd have to bring up the Dave about trilogy which is a series that are it's a trilogy that i really fucking enjoyed i thought that the world building the character work the 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 magic systems like i thought it was so fucking beautiful by uh S.A. uh who's a white woman who wrote about Jinn in the middle east right i loved it thought it was fucking phenomenal my question about this story and like at the time I was like, Oh my God, she did this so well. I've never seen anyone white go into a culture that wasn't theirs. And like recreated this way. She, you know, study, she, she's a converted Muslim and she studies, studied uh, Islamic history as well as faiths. I was like, this is really great. Um, But then, you know, in the last year or so, I was like, wait, but I'm not from this region of the world. I don't know if, like, I enjoy this book for what it is, right? For what for the way that I can engage with it, but I've not heard any Middle Eastern people speak on the book, and so I'm not always like, "Huh," like it, it's really great for me to champion something that I that I enjoy. I, I really like when I do that. Uh, I, I like to give flowers to people while I can, but then I also have to stop and think, like, am I a part of the problem? My, am, am I the villain? Um, because Sometimes what happens in those situations is the people who are referenced aren't asked about it. And then it turns into, it's like, well, yeah, everyone loved it. And now she's created this thing that everyone loved. And that's cool. But like, is the Middle Eastern people feel reflected in this? Do North Africans feel reflected in this? I don't know. I don't know.
2: I know we have to finish up. Um, But I also want to ask then, do you think... I feel like if you're going to write the other, right, you're going to be someone who's published and you're going to highlight that, then I feel like part of that journey should also to be like, if you really love what I did, please check out these works by people of the culture because they have written some beautiful things. So I feel like if you are going to do that, then you need to also, if you get any type of notice from that, you need to start really mentioning those people that are of that culture. So it, it is not just you, the other being praised for it.
1: Well, yeah, for sure. I, I I think, I think that's part of it. And I think that's why you see a lot of like marginalized writers kind of get irritated at the idea of someone writing them, um, writing outside of their culture or into their culture. It's not just, unfortunately we live in the capitalist society. So it's not just an act of creation. Unfortunately, it is, you know, if, and I I mean, I don't know her, I I don't have any ill will towards her, but the author of that book, Bonds of Brass, it, 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 it bothers me every time I think about that book, because that was like, that was a book written by a white woman. uh, And it was a Brown and a black gay relationship. And it's like, You wrote it and maybe it was written real. I don't know. I haven't read it, but I can't all, every time I think of that book, all I can think is like, well, damn, wouldn't it have been nice if a black or brown gay author actually got that shot, got that contract, got that chance. And Mm -hmm. yeah, so I can't divorce, for me at least, I can't divorce that idea out of my head whenever someone's writing something outside of their lane and they find success in it.
2: No, but let me ask you this. So I read Bonds of Brass, Emily's book. So that so um, do we fault the author, or do, do we then uh, take to toe to the editors and publishers who are saying this is great, but show me the other authors by that?
1: Oh, they, like, I think they all they all have fault. I think author has fault in that too, because at at any point the author could have been like, you know what, this probably isn't my space. i'm I'm
2: gonna back off okay so i'm gonna be devil's advocate because i'm not saying i disagree with you but what if this is the way the story came to the author and that author did have that thing but then what if the other thought came by though but i have a name and if this does well then hopefully it can open the door to people who are of that background and they can write those stories because I being a part of the dominant uh, culture wrote something. What if it helps someone in that way?
1: I think sometimes, and I appreciate when people have that viewpoint, but I think sometimes it's very infantilizing. I can't know if that's Mm -hmm. the right word. It comes across very parental of marginalized people. It's like, let me be the first to do this thing. and I'll hold the door open for you, porous Feel free to walk in after me now that I've held the door open. It's very, it's very, inf- it's like, I can do it on my own. If you would just move, like move your ass out of the way and I can do it. Trust me. Like, I don't necessarily need your help. And it's always this idea that like, that, oh, and sometimes, and sometimes people use the idea of, oh, I have privilege. So let me do it first instead of taking the hint. Oh, I have privilege. Let me step the fuck out the way. And, and and I think some I wish sometimes more people had that idea. It was like, you know what? I have privilege. Let me let these people do their thing. And if they need me, they can call me. But it's always this assumption that, like, let me be the trailblazer because I know I can trip and then you can follow behind me. I didn't ask you. I can do it. <laughs> you just need to you just need to step aside. And I think sometimes, that, you know, that's how I feel. Sometimes it comes up. Like, it comes across very much like you're just patting me on the head and be like, OK, well, just wait, just wait till I'm done. And then you can come in, too. No, I, I think
2: that's a valid critique. I, I'm going to just I mean, I, li- I actually liked Bonds of Brass a lot, um, but I think that's a super valid. Critique.
0: And honestly, I didn't know anything about the author. My wife had read it; she said this is awesome. Or maybe it was you, Will, that told me to read it. I can't remember. Yeah,
2: because I got it as a arc, and I was like, I actually really liked this.
0: Yeah, and I and I read it, and I I enjoyed it. I didn't didn't I until Brent said that I knew nothing about the author. I just you know read the book. You know what I mean? I also I also want to like say I this: do more homework.
2: <laughs> but yeah, but even then, like you know, yeah. I think sometimes I'm so craving. Queer stories in outer space yeah. that I will literally read all of them. Yeah, for sure. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like when you're, when you don't see any part of yourself in something, it's like you just want to just keep reading it no matter who it's by. Does that make sense? No, it yeah, totally, no.
1: And, it and, totally and does. I don't want to knock her or knock her career or anything like that. It's just, you know, I just. It just makes me kind of like, it makes me a little bit frustrated for like the writers that I see that continuously are pounding on the door and they can't get in the door. And then they see like this white person literally holding the same concept that four or five of them probably wrote. Oh, word, the a yeah. 100%. Yep, yep. All
2: right, I have one more question, then we can go. Sorry, I know if we're wrapping were up. I just have a question, <laughs> real quick. So, okay, <laughs> what do you do, right? And I'm asking this selfishly, like, what do I do? Like, what do you? What advice would you give me, or someone like me? I am writing a lot of people of color, right? And well, I you're
1: writing them, but I don't think you're writing for them, right? Like, I think like there's a difference between like, inc- like I say, including versus writing for, like, yeah. And, and what I also tell people too is like. What is so boring about your own culture that you don't want to write about it? Like I guarantee you, there's there's something very interesting about your identity and and where you're at and where you're from, and there's and there's probably there's probably a lot to explore about it. For instance, like as as an American, I think that there is so much to dive into. About American history and the American experience that can translate to science fiction and fantasy that actually hasn't ever been touched. But instead yeah. of us wanting to do that, we wanna go, we wanna go and tap into other people's cultures because I don't know, it feels exotic or it feels whatever. But like like and like one thing I, I think about all the time, you never really see, and I think I've only ever really seen it in one novel, but you never really see the experience of chattel slavery in America translated into like an epic fantasy or like, you know, or like a high fantasy or whatever, Are you never really see something like, I don't know, the, um, the women's, uh, movement to get the vote. You never see that kind of articulated and translated into like a secondary world or something. I just, I just challenge people to think when when your first start is let me write about another culture. Well, what about your own having you examined? What are, what are you curious about within your own culture that you can mine and dig into? Cause I guarantee there's something there
2: totally totally so now i'm gonna i'm gonna um we can talk about this later though i just like wonder like i have this one character in my novel tech he's she's black right but we don't live in the united states or earth isn't even a thing and i would like to write a book with centering her but then am i telling her story as like a black woman in a space opera, like do I attempt it? like I love this character so I'm trying to like balance it out like how can I talk about this character that I created and has influenced me because of my friends and do it justice and respectfully?
1: Well see what, what I like about what you said though too is that's not the first book. This is, this is the book that follows after you've already established, yeah. you know, a character. So I think and again, unfortunately, I can't think about this stuff without thinking about the capitalistic nature of the publishing industry in it. I, I have I have a much I have much less, I guess, of an issue with a book in a series that chooses to pivot from like a, a, a character that, you know, that matches themselves culturally to a different character versus one that starts right off from the beginning. I'm gonna right outside my culture and let's just go for it. And we're just going to come out the gate swinging. Now I, I still yeah. would prefer if someone stay in their space, but I don't think, I, I think to your point, kind of like what you were saying before where people are like, let me use my opportunity to make more space. I think that's a better way to do it. If you're going to do it, like let me make more space for other people. Well, I have a, I have this three book contract I got my first book out of the way, you know, where with this white person or whatever. You pulled y'all in. Okay, now you gotta get deal with this black character in book two. And maybe yeah. that way it'll soften you up to deal with more black characters. Yeah, if yeah, I had yeah. to choose a poison to swallow, I would rather swallow that.
0: Yeah. So I think we should wrap it up there. Oh, wow. I think, yeah, this, it's getting very late on the East Coast, very long in this episode.
4: Hey, look um, at you guys asking all the right questions, eh?
0: I know. And I knew this would happen towards the end. And I probably should have jumped to this chapter a little sooner than we did tonight, but I appreciate everybody's insight. And I think, I think we covered literally what Charlie Jane, um, most of her suggestions anyway, and, and put our personal spin on. I love it. Can I end just with the last paragraph of this chapter? Cause I think it's really powerful. I think it sums up everything. Um, work it out. St- stories only matter because they're connected to people. There's nothing more tragic than when someone's story is present but the person who actually lived that story is still locked outside. And this has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. You can find us at justkeepwriting.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Feel free to reach out to any of us on our social medias, and please jump in our Just Keep Writing Discord channel. Links to all of that is in the show notes. Lastly, please support our show by going to patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. We offer daily writing prompts, early access to podcast episodes, and much more. Thanks for listening, and just keep writing.